Today in chapel, we are talking about the fact that we believe in having gospel conversations. I'm going to run my own PowerPoint. I'm going to jump around. It's going to be a little more conversational than normal. It's not going to be like one of the normal sermons, although I know me and my tendency, it'll turn into a sermon at some point just because that's the way God made me. So I can't help it. All right. So when it starts, just have fun with it. We'll go on. Here's what it says in our doctrinal statement. It says, due to the commission of Christ and the urgency of the gospel, all believers are to engage in gospel conversations. How many of you believe that? That's pretty weak. How many of you believe that? To live God-honoring lives and to work continuously for the spread of the gospel to their neighbors and the nations. Now, let's be honest as we start off this morning. All of us could do a better job with personal evangelism and all of us could do a better job with a heart for missions. So I'm not up here talking to you about something I have conquered or mastered. This is preaching to myself as much as I'm talking to any of you about what we should do. But just because none of us do it perfectly doesn't mean we shouldn't challenge one another to do a better job with it. And so for that reason, we're going to walk through this and I'm going to give you some practical steps today towards the end on how we can share our faith. And I don't claim to be an expert on personal evangelism, but I believe it's important for us to say we believe in evangelism. We believe in the gospel. That's what Paul says in the book of Romans where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ either. So to start us off, open your Bibles and turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 18 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 through 21. We'll look at it briefly so it won't be like a full-fledged, full-blown sermon because I've got some slides I want to go through on some different techniques or different ways perhaps you could share the gospel. We can work on sharpening that. But before we do that, I want to lay the groundwork here with this passage that is known for being on reconciliation. In fact, some would argue that the entire book of 2 Corinthians is on reconciliation, but this passage in particular mentions the word reconciliation five times. Let me start us off in this way, though. I remember a trip that I took to do ministry to Sturgis, South Dakota. It was for Bike Week. Now, if any of you, anybody ever been to Bike Week? Probably not. We've got a couple. Okay, I'm shocked that you've been to Bike Week. Pam Johnson down here to Bike Week. I have a new image of Pam Johnson here all of a sudden. Um, Bike Week is 500,000 or more motorcycles that descend on Sturgis, South Dakota, population 5,000. So there are people camped out everywhere. Uh, it is not a, a godsome, it's not a wholesome, godsome, godsome, wholesome, I got that confused, godly, wholesome moment of glorifying God. It, it is a moment where people are there to get drunk, to glorify self, to do things of that nature. And then there are some of us who go there to do ministry. And so we were there at a place called the Mission at the Cross to do ministry, and we were sharing the gospel. And I remember going out to share the gospel that first day, and I thought, oh, this is, this is good. This is going to be awesome. And I go out, and I, I meet the first person, and I had been watching Way of the Master. Any of you guys see Way of the Master? And you walk up to the guy, and you say to the guy, hey, are you a sinner? And the guy responds back instead of saying, no, I'm a good person. And you go through the Ten Commandments. The guy responds back to me and he goes, bleep, yeah, I'm a sinner. And I'm a bleepity, bleepity, bleepity good one too. That just completely ruined that whole methodology of sharing the gospel right off the bat, right? He just admitted and probably broke half the commandments in two sentences. He just completely 
did away with that whole methodology of sharing the gospel. And it was at that moment I started learning that you can't just have one way that you want to share the gospel. There is no silver bullet for sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is an act of us being available for how the Holy Spirit wants to use us so that we can then share through a variety of means, a variety of tools. So in our tool belt, we need to fill our tool belt with various ways that we want to share the gospel. And then we need to have eyes to see that the Holy Spirit would show us who we need to share the gospel with and then be open and be sensitive to go and just be obedient and let the Holy Spirit let God do what he's going to do. So on this trip, I go from that to uh, walking downtown with Eric Garland. Any of you word of lifers know Eric Garland? Rick Garland? Yep. So I'm, I'm walking with Eric Garland. This is the first trip he's ever been on. After Word of Life, he's with me. First time he was with, I was teaching the class. We go walking downtown, and all of a sudden downtown, we see this girl decide she wants to ride a mechanical bull without any clothes on. You talk about worried that you just lost your job. I really thought I was done for at that moment in time, right? So we're walking and I like grab him by the arm and turn him and we go the other way to move in a different direction. So that's the type of place we're, we're in, right? So you get the picture. This is, not, this is not your normal witnessing encounter. This is not sitting on the airplane. They can't jump out the window. You've got them for two hours type, type deal. So we're on the street. I've got a microphone. We have a camera. How many of you do cameras? How many of you have HD cameras? You have a Canon or you have something? Who, how many of you have cameras? Nikon. Nikon. Yeah, that's okay. You'll get saved one day and go to Canon. No, I'm just kidding. I don't care if it's Nikon or Canon or whatever it is. If you have a camera and you can attach a microphone to it in any way, you can get people to talk to you because people think they're going to be on TV. I don't know why, but they do. And so that's what we did. We set up on a street corner. We had a camera. I had a microphone. We had the microphone running into the camera. We had no purpose for any of this video footage, but we were running video. We set up a red light on the top of the camera so it looked good. And everybody that came by, we would say, hey, can we talk to you for a few minutes? Now, if you're standing out there with a Bible and you say, hey, can we talk to you for a few minutes? Chances are they're going to say, no, we don't want to talk to you because they know what's coming. But you have a microphone and you're sticking a microphone in their face, everybody stops to talk to you. So I'm talking to this one guy and his name is Brian. Brian has walked up and he's got on this green shirt that's got beer labels all over it and this gold medallion that reminds you of Flavor Flav or something. And it's, he, he, he's doing his thing, right? I mean, he's, He's up there, and I asked, I asked Brian, I said, Brian, why did you come to Sturgis? And he said, I came to Sturgis to get messed up, except he used a different word. This is on camera. This is the first interview. And I began to, to think to myself, I laughed. I didn't know what to do other than laugh. I'm like, what, how, how do you respond to that? And I said, so you came here to get messed up? And he goes, Yeah. He's like, I got drunk, and he was using all these four-letter words, which is why I can't show you the videos, because all the four-letter words, you can't even bleep them out. It's just bleepity, bleepity, bleep. And, and he said, yeah, I, I, last night, I was just totally wasted, and I said, you were riding your bike, and you were totally wasted, and I began to have the conversation with him. I said, all right, let me ask you this question. If you were to ride your bike, totally wasted, you drift off the side of the road, you hit a telephone pole, and you die, what happens? And he looked at me, and he stopped, and his voice got real squeaky, and he said, I'd go to heaven. <laughs> and I thought that wasn't a very convincing answer, but I was more taken back by the fact that he had just cussed like 17 times in four sentences. And he was good at it. He'd used cuss words for every part of speech in the process. And, and I'm thinking to myself, how in the world is it that you could do this? Now, rather than being composed and having a good answer, I looked at him and I said, how in the world does that happen? And he said, well, I went down to the Lutheran church and was baptized as a baby. And he said, and that's going to take care of me and I can go to heaven. 
Now, is that true? Is that what salvation is? Is salvation merely going down to a church, any church, doesn't have to be Lutheran, it could be, it could be Presbyterian, it could be Baptist, it could be Pentecostal, it could be any church. Is salvation really just going to a church, walking an aisle, shaking somebody's hand, praying a magical prayer, getting baptized, whether as an infant or whether as an adult, is that what salvation really is all about? We began to have a conversation that went on and on about fruit and other items, but here this passage I think summarizes really well for us exactly what salvation is all about. It starts off, well, actually, let's just read it first. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Let's stand and honor the reading of God's word as is the custom. I can't sit down and read the word of God. I don't know why, but I just can't do it. So uh, verse 18 is where we start. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Dear Lord, today just help us to catch a glimpse of your grace and your glory and your greatness and give us a passion for sharing that with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So we look at this passage, and this passage starts off with the God who reconciles. You see it right there on the screen. All this is from God. It starts with God. God is the source. God is the mover. God is the one who begins it all. All this refers back to the previous verses, and it refers to everything which uh, is included there in 2 Corinthians. It means that we are not saved by our own works. It's from God. It's not from us. It means that we are not saved by walking down an aisle. We are not saved because we have church membership. We are not saved because we were baptized. We are not saved because we uh, carried some card at some banquet and circled something that said we made a decision. We're not saved because we went to a camp and during the camp, during uh, great music and during an emotional service, we raised our hand or we walked down front. We're not saved. Even if at Bible conference, you raised your hand here and you prayed a prayer, if you didn't mean it, you're not saved by those things. What you're saved by is the fact that God in the beginning was the mover who wanted to reconcile you and not only you, but all the world to himself because in Adam and Eve, we'd sinned, we'd rebelled against God. In that rebellion against God, we had created a separation from a holy God. So God sent his son Jesus to the cross to become sin, sinless as he was to become sin. Sin was imputed to Christ so that Christ's righteousness could then be imputed to us. And we are saved when we repent of our sins put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we decide that we are gonna be ambassadors for Christ, we're gonna play for Christ's team, it's an allegiance to Christ. It's what God does through us, through the Holy Spirit regenerating us, transforming us, and changing us. And if you have prayed a prayer, but never changed, if you have filled out a card, but your life has never changed, if you have walked an aisle, gone through the waters of baptism, but your life has never changed, then I'm afraid you may be in the same position that Brian was when 
I talked with him on the streets of Sturgis, South Dakota, somebody who had said he had made a decision, but the fruit of his life, the direction of his life, the trajectory of his life didn't prove that he was living for Christ. In fact, it proved that he had his mind set on the things of the world, not on the things of Christ. And so as we talk about this this morning, I have a twofold message to you. One is as we talk through this, I want you to evaluate your own heart and your own life. And you say, wait a second, do you really think that we're not saved? I don't want you to think that. I I think you're amazing students. I think you are incredible student body, faculty, and staff at Cedarville. But here's my experience that affects how I look at some of this. We have 850 students that show up here every fall. Some of you, I know, show up here without a true personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know how I know it? It's because we talked to one person that told us that they copied and pasted their testimony off the internet and pasted it into the application. We've had people do that. I can tell you another reason why. I preached my first sermon at age 18, lost. It wasn't until age 20 that I actually made a real genuine profession of faith and accepted Christ as my Savior. I may tell you more about that later depending on how time goes. But I understand that you can sit in church, you can listen to sermons over and over and over again without you making a personal decision to follow Christ. And so this morning, I want to challenge all of you as we are into that second half of the second semester before we head off for summer, evaluate your own heart and life as we look at this. Is the fruit of your life, are the works of your life, you're not saved by works, but you're saved to good works. Are the fruit and the works of your life demonstrating that you have made an inward decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have repented of your sin? Here we see that God is the one who reconciles. He's the source. Think about how amazing this is. That God, the one that was offended, is the one that pursues and the one that reconciles. How often is it that the one who is offended is the one who comes after us with love and demonstrates his love and that he sends his son to die for us on a cross? That should bring you amazing joy and amazing comfort this morning to know that you are loved in that way by the creator of the universe. That even though you rebelled against him, even though you stray from him, even though you run away from him, and and even though we continue to sin, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. It is all from God who is the source. Reconcile or reconciliation. She's five times in this passage. You can see it there on the screen in the first verse. It's Christ reconciled. We have the ministry of reconciliation. It was in Christ that God was reconciling the world to himself. You see in the end of verse 19, entrusting to us that message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, imploring others, be reconciled to God. God's the one who starts it all. We understand also that it is God who through Christ reconciled. So sometimes you'll have people try to put up this image of God as the mean one, that God is the angry one, that Christ is the one that loves and kind of that Christ is pleading with God, oh, please don't hurt this person. Please just just extend grace to them. But what this text tells us is that God is not a God of anger or a God of wrath alone, but that God is a God of grace because it is through Christ that God is reconciling us to him. There is no division in the Godhead where Jesus is the merciful one and God is the hateful one. There is there's a plan that God had from the beginning of time that God would send his son to die on a cross for our sin, that God is a gracious God, that God the wronged is the initiator, that God the more powerful comes to us, the ones who can do nothing, the ones who are weak, and he says to us, I want to offer you salvation. 
in the beginning, what we see is that Adam followed Eve, Eve followed a serpent, and nobody followed God. And what did God do in return? He set in the course of the Bible a story of reconciliation and redemption. The Bible is not a set of individual stories. It is not just a set of individual stories about how you can get a get-out-of-hell-free card or how you can be saved. The Bible is the story of redemption and reconciliation of how God created the world, the world rejected Him and rebelled against Him, and all through the Old Testament, glimpses are given that point us to the coming Messiah on the cross, and then Jesus comes, and everything is set right through the cross, and He dies on the cross for our sin. He goes to the grave. He gets up out of the grave, and we celebrate that this coming Friday, this coming Sunday, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father, but it doesn't stop there because Jesus is not done. He is coming back, and when he comes back, he will make all things new. He will recreate and put things back in the order that it should be. All of creation is crying out to be redeemed, and the gospel story is a gospel story of reconciliation and redemption from beginning to end. It is a story much bigger than my story or your story. We are one small sliver in God's great story. And that's how we should see the Bible. And that should encourage us this morning that this whole thing is much bigger than we are. That's the God that we serve. This God that started it gave us a message of reconciliation. That message is contained in these passages where it says, for our sake, he made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin. Jesus was sinless. We understand that. The thief on the cross even talked about the fact that Jesus had done no wrong. The soldiers who had gambled for his garments even commented to the fact that this man was sinless. John says he knew no sin. The, test, the writers of the New Testament talk about how Jesus was sinless. But God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin. He imputed our sin to Jesus Christ on the cross. And through that imputation where Jesus was our substitute on the cross, he then took Christ's righteousness so that when we repent and put our faith in Christ, that Christ's righteousness then is imputed to us so that in Christ, that's the key, in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. We are not made perfect. We are still sinful, but God doesn't look upon us in our sinful flaws. He looks upon us in our union with Christ. And in that unity with Christ, we then can have salvation. We then are declared righteous. We then are justified, not because of anything in us, but because of that union with Christ. That's the message that God has given us. In the Greek, this is perhaps the best 15 words in all of Scripture contained there in verse 21. You can even tweet it out in the English. I did so this morning. You have about 37 characters left after you tweet it out. It's a great gospel message just to tweet out, for our sakes, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Substitution, imputation, brings reconciliation. And then God gives us this ministry of reconciliation. You see this here too. It's all from God who through Christ reconciled himself and then he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is that in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And you understand this is not universalism. This is once you are united with Christ then your trespasses are not counted against you. To be united with Christ, it is repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he has entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. Now, here's a question for you that I, I asked myself. If God had only entrusted this message of reconciliation to me and to me alone, what does the hope of mankind look like? 
I don't know why God chose to entrust it to us. I know it's awkward sometimes to share the gospel with others, but think about the good news that we have been given. To tell people that you are separated from your creator, but God has provided a way through Jesus Christ on the cross that you can be united and you can have life and you can have it more abundantly and you can live at peace with God. It's the message of reconciliation. We should be excited about that message, but the devil doesn't want us to be excited about that message. He wants us to shy away from sharing the gospel with others. So God has entrusted to us this message. So therefore we are ambassadors Anybody here in Royal Ambassadors? Do we have anybody out there or am I just that old and I'm the only one? I see two hands. Do I see more than two hands? I see two hands. All right, I was in Royal Ambassadors when I was young. I have to tell you about it. Royal Ambassadors was like, it was RAs. It was kind of like the children's thing that you would do back in, in my day. I guess that shows how old I am. We used to say this. We used to say, as a Royal Ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ to have a Christ-like concern for all people, to learn how to carry the message of Christ around the world, to work with others in sharing Christ, and to keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. That was our motto as a royal ambassador. It came from this verse. Think about the characteristics of an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador lives in a foreign land. He is a pilgrim passing through that land. He speaks not for himself, but he speaks for the sovereign who sent him. He does not have the authority to change the message. He only delivers the message. The words and actions that he does represents the homeland, not just himself or herself. He does not promote himself or herself, but promotes the interest of the king, and he is commissioned for this assignment. And here, I want us to recognize this morning that we have been given a message of reconciliation, and we have been commissioned as ambassadors of God, ambassadors of that message, so that we should take the message of reconciliation to the ends of the earth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20 says, God making his appeal through us. So that we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you implore others to be reconciled to God? That's what we're called to do. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not just ambassadors. We have a commission. Our commission is represented in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples. How do we make disciples? We make disciples by sharing the gospel. Now, recognize this is not an easy commission, an easy assignment. It is not simply leaving a track on a table. It is not simply sharing the gospel and leaving. It is to make disciples. That is a much broader term than what we often make it in our culture. It's not just that we pray a prayer with somebody and we say, okay, they're saved. Now they're okay for all eternity. We can leave. It is to make disciples. When we make disciples, there is another part of that, which is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things. The Great Commission is broader than just an evangelistic witness, although that's where it starts. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. We are to make disciples for Christ. We are to teach them all things. And in order to do that, we have to go back to Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you ashamed of the gospel? We live in a culture where the gospel is not popular. 
where saying that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven is not popular. If you are ashamed of the gospel, you will never share the gospel. We have to grow comfortable with the fact in a compassionate and in a caring way that we have a very difficult to believe message, but it is a message that is the power of God to salvation and we cannot be ashamed of the fact that we genuinely believe that God became man through the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, went to a grave, got up out of the grave, ascended to the Father and is coming again on a white horse in the clouds and that is our message and we cannot be ashamed of that message. Are you ashamed of the gospel? We should not be. Paul here says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So if we're not ashamed of it, how do we share it? Here are four ways that I want to go through just briefly. Our testimony. The Ten Commandments, if you've seen Way of the Master, you know where I'm going with that, to convince others that they're not good people as they might think they're good people, but that they have sin. And if you're a sinner in one part of the law, you're guilty of the whole law. And to understand that you know, Jesus said if we have anger in our heart or lust in our heart, then with, as though we've committed adultery or murder, and so convincing others that they are sinners, the one verse or the bridge track, as some call it, from Romans six twenty three, and then the Romans wrote. So we begin looking at testimony. I challenge all of you to write out your testimony. Write out your testimony so that you'll know what it is. You write it out so that you don't ramble when you give it, so that you don't give all of your testimony, and you write it out so that as you write out your testimony, you can properly adjust the time that you're going to give to each portion of your testimony. What you don't want to do in your testimony is spend so much time glorifying your past sin that you never get to how you could be saved and what God has done in your life. If all you are doing in that back portion is glorifying all of those things and talking about how much fun it is, you might actually convince somebody to stay in their sin, and that's not the purpose of your testimony. You don't glory in your sin. You mention where you've been, but it's kind of like that rearview mirror in the car. It's okay to glance at where you've been, but you look through the front windshield because you want to see where you're going. So you don't stay in your past, you look towards the future, you talk more about what Christ has done for you and since that moment than you talk about your sin in your past. You remember that you're not the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of the story and if Jesus is not the one who gets the glory, if Jesus is not the one who gets the fame, if you think that you're, I keep thinking of that rap song that keeps coming into my mind, but if you think you're the reason If you think this is all about you, then you have got the wrong thing in mind. Christianity is not about you, and it's not about your fame, and it's not about your glory, and it's not about your accolades. Christianity is all about what God has done through Christ and what Christ has done on the cross. And when we share the gospel, it should be all about Christ and not about us. We should be honest that all of us, every last one of us in this room is a filthy, rotten sinner who has rejected our king and we are deserving of hell and death. Were it not for the grace of God, that's exactly what we would have. But Christ, our hero, is the one who has offered the grace. And every time we share our testimony, it should be about the grace of the cross and the glory of God and not about us. Include a clear statement of repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ. The repentance and faith is part of conversion. It's two sides of the same coin. You recognize that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you realize that you do that because you need a savior, because you are a sinner. And so when you repent of your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's when the moment of conversion happens and that's when regeneration happens. The regeneration is the Holy Spirit working in us to regenerate us. Our portion of that is to respond with repentance and faith. Make sure you include those elements in there. 
after you finish sharing your testimony with somebody, you can ask them if anything similar has ever happened to them. And if it has, you could say, well, would you share your story with me? If it hasn't, you could say, well, would you like to do so? Would you like to repent and put your faith in Christ even right now? Sharing your testimony, sharing your story is a great way to share the gospel with somebody. Everyone has a story. It's been said that sharing the gospel is really one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Everybody has a story, and you can lead people back to Christ through that story. The way the master uses the Ten Commandments. Starts out, and it says, are you a good person? Let's find out. You go through the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Most of you have probably seen this before on TV or heard about it. As you go through this, you shall not make for yourself graven images. You ask them, you know, have you ever done these things? You end up coming to some about taking the Lord's name in vain. Have you ever used profanity? Have you ever cussed? Have you ever profaned the Sabbath? Have you ever not honored your father and your mother? Have you ever uh, committed murder? Most people will say no. You can talk to them about Jesus saying, if you have hatred in your heart, it's as though you have committed murder. Most of us have had hatred in our heart at some point in time against somebody else. You shall not commit adultery. You can talk about lust there. You shall not steal. Most people have stolen something, even if it was a pen that didn't belong to them, even if it may have been inadvertent. Most people have done something of that nature, bear false witness against someone else, and you shall not covet. By the time you get through these Ten Commandments, most people will have confessed to you that they've broken many of the Ten Commandments, and you can remind them then that they are a lying, cheating, stealing, thieving, adulterous murderer. And that usually puts people in a position where they then want to have forgiveness for all of their sins, right? That only works, though, if you have somebody that thinks they're a good person. If you're encountering somebody like I encountered in Sturgis who talks about how great their sin is, that particular method doesn't work, and you're going to have to have another method. Usually, those who talk about how great their sin is, at that point in time, instead of talking to them about their sin, you need to talk to them about the fact that God's grace can cover even the deepest sins. It's not about the depths of your sin. It's about the depths of His grace, and His grace is infinite. And it's the fact that God can love you no matter what you've done. And I'll say it to all of you here in the room today. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. My God is great enough to cover all of your sins through His grace and through what Jesus did on the cross. And so don't you ever let the devil tell you that you've done something so bad that God can't use you in this life. That's what the devil wants you to believe so that you won't do things for Jesus Christ. But you have never done anything so bad that God can't use you in this life because God can forgive you. His grace is infinite. His mercy is never ending. That's the God that we serve. There's the one verse or the bridge track is what some people call it. I'm just going to scroll through it quickly. You have sinful man. You have a holy God. You have sin that separates. The question is, how do we get to a holy God? You use Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin equals death. That's our condition. That's where we are. We have no help. We have no hope. We have no life. But the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6, 23, that's the second half. That gift of God brings help to us. It brings hope to us. It brings life to us. And then through the cross, because it's the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so it is belief in Jesus Christ, our Lord, that allows us then to get to heaven. It's Romans 6, 23, which is listed for you at the top. One verse that you can take on a napkin with a pen and you can draw and you can lay it out and you can use it to share the gospel wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing. This particular section of slides, very similar, can actually be downloaded onto your iPhone. It can be downloaded onto an iPad. 
You can download it as a one verse or a bridge track. They have different apps that you can do. And in fact, all of these slides that I'm showing you today, we're going to add to the Cedarville app by the end of the semester so that if you have the Cedarville app on your iPhone, that you will always have access to tracks and to slides that you can pull up and show somebody. So if you're caught on an airplane sitting next to somebody and you find out they don't know Jesus, you can pull up the slides and you can say, hey, let me show you something cool that the school put out. And you can walk them through it. And they're looking at a phone. It gives them something to look at. And so then you can share the gospel with them in that way. Next set of slides is the Romans wrote. Start out with Romans 3.10. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. You can move to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What you're trying to establish there is that you need a Savior because until you know you need a Savior, you can't understand that you're repenting of your sin and putting your faith and trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. You move to Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It moves to the good news of Christ's death on the cross and what that provides. Romans six twenty three. then next, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 10, 9, what do I do then? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10, 13. And then Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here you see just a few different ways. There are many others. There are different tracks. There are different ways you can go about sharing your faith. But just a few of these so that you will have them, so that you'll be equipped to be good ambassadors for Christ. Like I said, we're going to add this to the Cedarville app. You can download apps on your phone. You can have those and be ready. You can purchase tracks that you can have in your pocket that you can give others. But just practice the methodology of praying every day. Lord, show me what you would have me to do for you today especially after you leave Cedarville. Today at Cedarville, it may be an encouraging word to somebody. It may be a kind word to somebody. It may be praying for somebody that's in need. It may be to lift somebody's spirits. But once you graduate, once you leave the halls here of Cedarville to go out into the world, pray that the Lord would give you eyes to see those that you need to share the gospel with and then give you the the faith and the boldness to step forward and to share the gospel with them, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share the reconciliation of the world with them. We have to remember, the grass withers, flowers fade. It's the word of our God that will stand forever. Salvation only comes in Christ alone. So standing here before you confessing, I need to do a better job of personal evangelism. I need to do a better job of having a heart for missions. I need to do a better job of getting the gospel to the nations. Will you commit in your own heart with me to say, Lord, by your grace and by your help, I'm gonna be more evangelistic. I'm not gonna be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna go to the nations. I'm gonna take advantage of the opportunities you provide to share the gospel with others. Will you commit today to make that the prayer of your heart that you would become a person seeking out gospel conversations? Today, There may be somebody in the room. As we've walked through this, or you may have known all along, you probably have known all semester that you have never repented and put your faith in Christ. If that's you, 
then I want to challenge you that immediately after this service, we're about to pray, immediately afterwards, I just want you to come down front. There'll be some of us waiting down here. The most important decision you can make is the decision to repent of your sin and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you are in this room and you have not done that, I challenge you to make today the day of salvation. Examine your own heart. Perhaps you've been here all year for different reasons. Mom and dad made you come. Perhaps you came to play sports. Perhaps you came for this reason or that reason. But you've realized that you don't have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have peace. You don't have a mission for your life and you're just floundering about. You're just going to and fro. And today is the day that you want to get it right. Today is the day that you want to be reconciled to your creator through Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. I pray today, if I could urge you to make any one decision, it would be the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I urge you, if you are questioning in any way your salvation, come forward and talk to somebody. If you have class immediately after chapel, get to your RA, get to your RD. Do not let the sun set on this day without making sure that you know for sure you have repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Will you do that for me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As everybody has their heads bowed and their eyes closed, just raise your hand this moment if you have a relative or a friend that's lost. Their hands up all over the auditorium. As we pray today, let's pray for those lost relatives and those lost friends that the Lord would give us an opportunity to share the gospel with them and the Lord would draw them to salvation. Dear Lord, as I come to you, I think of several family members, Father, who I I don't think they have a relationship with you, Lord. I don't think they know you. I don't see the fruit in their life. So Lord, in my own life, I pray that you would give me the opportunity and give my wife the opportunity to share with those friends and relatives that we care deeply about. Lord, I pray that you would give us that opportunity and then give us the boldness, Lord, to speak with compassion and to speak with love, but to speak the truth of how they are separated from you by their sin and how they can be reconciled to you. God, help us to have a passion for the lost. Help us to see the world with your eyes. Lord, help us not to just go through life selfishly seeking our own good, but help us, Lord, to have a desire to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to catch a realization of what an eternity separated from you would be like. Lord, help us to have a passion so that we would share the gospel. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be too busy. Help us not to be apathetic. But Lord, help us to be an extension of your love and your hands and your feet in this world. God, help us to be good ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, and you are dismissed.